0: Welcome to the program, everyone. My name is Dr. Mike Welland. I'm a computational material scientist here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. Uh, Previously, I've worked in the United States. I've worked in the European Union for a little while. And I'm very happy to be here today to co-host this podcast with my colleague, Larkin.
1: I'm Larkin Moskrop. I am a hip waiter wearing ecologist turned nuclear advocate and currently a project manager here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. And I'm very excited to get to have these amazing conversations with scientists and engineers from across CNL. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have Bill Ulysny here. He is the head of CNL's Safety and Security Directorate, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about cybersecurity and maybe why that might not be the right term. Um, Bill brings over 20 years' experience in the national security sector supporting strategy and capability development for the U.S. government agencies. He's held some big roles in cyber intelligence, directorates of the U.S. Department of Energy's Office of Intelligence and Counterintelligence, and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Domestic Nuclear Detection Office. And I'm happy to say that he now works here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. Welcome, Bill.
2: Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm happy to discuss some of the great things we're doing here at Canadian Nuclear Laboratories.
1: So I think that place to start for all of us is really, why do we even need to look at cybersecurity, and how does it relate to nuclear?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, the Safety and Security Directorate uh, within the Science and Technology Organization, uh, we're charged with providing world-class capabilities in nuclear forensics detection and emergency response, as well as cybersecurity for nuclear and critical infrastructure. Uh, now, the term cybersecurity can mean different things to different people. When I talk about the work that our directorate's doing in this area, uh, I want to be clear that our focus is on risk reduction and resiliency for critical infrastructure by enabling effective operational technology cybersecurity.
1: So, you were talking about how CNL is looking at nuclear, but then also at critical infrastructure. Do you mind defining that term for us?
2: Sure. Uh, an infrastructure category is critical when the services it provides are vital to national security. Uh, communications such as telephone and cellular service, information technology networks uh, are examples, as are financial and healthcare systems. CNL is largely focused on Canada's energy infrastructure, such as power generation plants, especially nuclear, and transmission and distribution grids. But we also have much to offer for resiliency and security of transportation, water, and defense infrastructure systems. These and other critical infrastructure categories are vital to the nation's economy, health and safety, and security. And and going back, you mentioned operational technology, too. So what's that one? Sure. Operational technology is hardware that interacts with the physical world and is controlled by software. Uh, Other similar terms you might have heard include digital instrumentation and control, industrial control systems, or SCADA, supervisory control and data acquisition). A great example of this is the thermostat on your home heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system. Uh, Temperature sensor on the thermostat is an example of SCADA that controls whether your HVAC systems heat or cool your home and to what temperature. When you adjust the temperature setting on your thermostat to control heating or cooling, that's an example of human interface with a digital instrumentation and control system. The new smart thermostats, like the Nest or Ecobee, take that concept to an entirely new level.
0: So what could happen if somebody did gain access to these uh, cybersecurity controls? Right. So if a hacker, uh, a cyber criminal, or a a nation state actor
2: uh, were able to access and manipulate control systems, uh, what what would happen? uh, The train tracks at a busy rail yard uh, could overheat a transformer at an electrical substation to cause a small explosion and bring down a portion of the electrical grid. Or they can manipulate the readouts in an operations center of a nuclear power plant. Uh, perhaps causing the operator to adjust uh, the controls and inadvertently trigger an off-normal reactor event, possibly leading to the evacuation of of a population in the adjacent area. So CNL's operational technology cybersecurity efforts are building tools and processes that enable critical infrastructure organizations to detect, prevent, and mitigate such intrusions.
1: So as um, the reactors are kind of aging, generally across the world, uh, many of them, And I've spent some time at our reactor here at the National Research Universal, and a lot of those were really analog systems. Mm -hmm. And so you're mentioning all of these operational um, adjustments that have been changing with digitization and then how those operators are also going to have to look at equipment differently. How do we plan for that future reactor? And, And as we upgrade our old reactors to be more digital, is that automatically kind of introducing more opportunities for threat?
2: Well, uh, there are always, uh, if everything stayed the same, uh, the the perpetrators of these uh, uh, hackers, they, they would uh, continue to advance. So if everything stayed the same, it would get worse and worse and worse. But everything is also continuing to advance. And we are moving from analog to digital and interconnected and remote. So uh, yes, the uh, existing reactor fleet is moving from analog control systems to digital control systems. And so there are different challenges there. Small modular reactors uh, and micro reactors are envisioned for Canada and globally, uh, and those will be dispersed geographically and may be controlled remotely, uh, a number of systems being controlled remotely. so there are communication uh, systems there that uh, between the operator and the reactor that uh, could be another avenue for, for intrusion. And so those need to be protected. Uh, and then uh, as uh, all of these other systems start to interact with each other, uh, you might have an industrial use for a small modular reactor. So the, the reactor needs to supply more power as the grid, uh, whether it be a small microgrid or a large nationally uh, dispersed grid, will draw against that. If, if something can occur in one area, can affect something geographically different. And, Are completely separated from it. So uh, with everything being interconnected, think of the uh, autonomous vehicles Uh, that are starting to proliferate now. Uh, If someone can affect uh, a system in in an autonomous vehicle, uh, what effect might that have somewhere down the line when they're driving across the country or uh, in another location? So, and then we've got, you know, uh, satellite communication controls and uh, a number and international operated systems. We may, we may develop something here in Canada that can then be uh, implemented uh, overseas somewhere in Europe or Asia or Africa uh, and might be controlled from here. So now we're talking about satellite communication. Uh, and so there are a number of, of different uh, vulnerabilities that need to be taken into account.
1: Only because now that you've identified all the opportunities for scary stuff to happen well, and the it's fact nothing that we <laughs> I
2: don't think I'm revealing any state secrets. Yeah, exactly.
1: and so uh, what does that what does that mean for the future of nuclear especially with remote operations does that do, do you think that that looks like we're going to be looking to different types of regulations different types of regulatory controls and uh, and then also how does that what does that mean for that potential for remote operations does that increase our risk in a way that might not make sense
2: right so i I think there are well a number of things along those lines the reactors that are being considered for new reactors and small modular uh, reactors are more safe than their predecessors they're smaller if if there is an accident they're designed to not be as big of a problem as maybe some of the original reactors were if if they had a meltdown and, and problems along those lines So that's one step the other step is the engineering designs uh, because they are focused on safety of the reactor they're building in some of these cyber protections as well uh, as a safety and security measure and so those are built in and not just added on after the fact so these systems are uh, i wouldn't say inherently safe but but they're focused in that direction uh, to be as safe as they can be going forward uh, the Canadian Government is looking at additional regulation and, and legislation focused on cybersecurity of, of uh, nuclear and uh, critical infrastructure overall uh, and so that is another measure uh, from a governmental standpoint that uh, you know that we need to uh, be aware of and to to support in a number of ways. Uh, we work closely with the, with our uh, government stakeholders on giving them the information they need to provide, you know, appropriate regulation for uh, the industries that they're looking at.
1: So speaking of government and government contracts uh, and looking at your bio, you, you've worked a lot with the United States. So how does Canada, the United States, compare in terms of how they're approaching cybersecurity or even the regulations across the two countries? And And are we able to take lessons from one another?
2: Right. So I would say that in... In the area of cybersecurity, there are a lot more organizations perhaps focused on it, uh, whether they be government agencies and companies and academia focused on it in the U.S. than in Canada. But I think that's also a function of the size of the two countries or the populations of the two countries. So there are a lot more, there's a lot more focus on cybersecurity and intelligence services uh, in the U.S. Uh, than what I've seen in Canada, but now I'm not as tied into the intelligence community in Canada as I was in the U.S. But the uh, industrial control system community is focused on the topic. Uh, I, am, I sit on the, uh, the CanDo owners group, uh, cybersecurity peer group, uh, and they are focused on this topic. Canadian government agencies are focused on this topic and, uh, and we work closely with them on it. Uh, it's, a, it's a different view. There is a lot of, I, I would say in the US, and maybe this is just my perspective from where I sat when I was in the US, but uh, because of uh, being a nuclear weapon state, there are a lot more uh, secure information uh, and classified information uh, around, surrounding nuclear than in Canada but that doesn't mean that the the information in Canada is not being protected as well. Uh, It's just a different view of of, uh, protecting that, the information, the materials, you know, the the protection of the materials and the protection of the information here at uh, Canadian Nuclear Laboratories is very similar to what we see in the US at at a national laboratory that's working on some of these same issues. So, but there are uh, a number of other areas in cybersecurity in the U.S. and in Canada that are probably higher profile, which is protecting your personal information, you know, hacking uh, department stores and credit card companies to get your personal information, uh, that kind of thing uh, takes place globally, right? And so the entire world is focused on this issue. It's just a matter of, because it's mostly been an information technology, kind of an internet uh, phenomenon of hacking and, and what can affect an individual that you don't see as much publicity around the operational technology side. the The impact could be greater on a larger population in an operational technology, but it's a much more rare occurrence. Okay. Uh, but uh, the security of it is is focused. I mean, the financial sector is a critical infrastructure infrastructure mm-hmm. sector, and they and they focus a lot on that. But these types of uh, industries that I mentioned, the transportation sector, certainly the energy sector and the defense sector, have a lot of both communication issues, which are IT related, and a lot of industrial controls as well. And so uh, the, the sectors are focused
0: quite a bit in both countries on this. So your, your base of operations is actually at of Fredericton uh, New Brunswick, right? So I, I sit in Chalk River okay. uh, in
2: Ontario. My office is here because our directorate, most of the work in our directorate is here and it's nuclear oh, uh, focused. Our cybersecurity section is in Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, and that is a, a kind of an ecosystem of cybersecurity uh. within Canada uh, that they've been building, uh, that the government and the community has been building uh, okay. out there. And so there is. Uh, Uh, A lot of collaboration between the government entities, commercial sector, and academia in New Brunswick around this issue. And so it just made sense for us to have a presence there to draw upon those capabilities and partnerships that we can have.
1: So speaking of uh, partnerships, and in terms of our new workforce, and IT is different than OT, and how those two combine, and kind of the work that we do. And what you guys do? Actually, I don't do any of it. Um, is it related? So, how do you get how do you get those partnerships? How do you get those students that are engaged in this new type of technology and maybe not in a field that is that IT security, right? So, as you mentioned, IT security around hacking and financials, those kind of things are really big and drawing probably a lot of attention and maybe even money to that industry. And this is a little bit different, but could have a huge impact. So. What are you doing to to pull in that next generation?
2: Right. So uh, we actually have had uh, quite a bit of success with our, our student internship program. So we we've got students participating with our cybersecurity section, primarily from University of New Brunswick, but uh, and in there they have a cybersecurity program, and, and we pull in from there, and we've had some success, but we've also drawn students in from uh, across the country uh, to work on this topic. We, we have a lot of things to offer in this area in that because we're not uh, focused just in one area, we are taking uh, the, the security of the uh, industrial control systems and digital instrumentation and control that we've developed for the nuclear industry. Uh, which is what CNL's expertise is in, and our experts have, have kind of grown up in that community, but we're taking that gold standard and applying it to these other uh, sectors as well. We've got a, a state-of-the-art, uh, a unique in Canada cyber range uh, in Fredericton that allows us to, uh, to simulate a nuclear power plant operation uh, and allows us to bring in hardware different hardware that we can test and train and exercise operators from power plants they can come to our site they can uh, run through a number of scenarios without impacting the operations at their power plant but which looks you know very similar it's a realistic uh, and it's realistic scenarios and it allows us to expand that from not just like I said nuclear power plants but maybe hydro and and coal and other types of generation plants, uh, but also grid operators, rail yard, transportation operations, and defense. Uh, So I think there are a lot of opportunities there for for a variety of things. And then we're looking at expanding that physical cyber range to uh, eventually a virtual cyber range, which will allow some of these operators to participate uh, uh, from their desks but still not impact their, their own operations. So that helps us build the training, uh, build the capability of the people uh, that, because we're not going to uh, to a site and, and perform the cybersecurity function for that mm-hmm. organization. We want them to have all the tools so that they can mm-hmm. do it themselves. Right. Uh, but in all of that, building all of those capabilities, operating them and developing the, uh, the tools around and the methodologies around these capabilities uh, is, I think, exciting for a number of new graduates in these areas, uh, but also for existing practitioners uh, that maybe have had to plot along uh, and be the lone voice out in the field saying, "Hey, we need to do something about this." They understand that they you know we are looking at this on a broader uh, uh, aspect, and and we're looking for collaboration partners for. Uh, employees for scientists and engineers who are focused on these types of control systems and, and cyber protection uh, associated with it. So we are, you know, we are the place to go to uh, <laughs> for these kinds of things in Canada. And, and we think more broadly than that as well. I think we have a lot to offer our neighbors in the U.S. Uh, as well as uh, in Europe and Asia and Africa. So uh south america we you know my vision for the uh for this mission space is that you know we are a global uh uh, resource uh, not just a canadian resource we are focused on the canadian uh, industry and we we certainly want to do our best for them but we have a lot to offer uh
0: globally as well so uh in the last little while uh especially in my personal field computational materials science um they, there have been a lot of big advances with high performance computing in the last uh, few decades machine learning is the latest and quote unquote greatest um i'm wondering if any of these game changers have had an impact on your field in terms of the, the types of threats the types of coordinations and defenses that you're able to mount. sure and it, it uh it falls on both sides of the coin right
2: so the uh the, uh, the bad actors are using all of those capabilities to improve their capabilities. We're using all of the same ones uh, to advance our capabilities to protect and to mitigate. It's kind of chicken and egg uh, situation. So we have uh, you know artificial intelligence, these computational techniques and methods, they help to advance uh, in a number of areas. Simulation is a, is a good one. Everyone talks about digital twins for uh, technologies. And there, you know, nobody, or at least that I've seen in some of the areas that we're looking at, have produced a digital twin that is truly a twin. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, a, a lesser sibling or a yeah. younger sibling. <laughs> digital shadow. twin. <laughs> Watch um, yourself. I'm the youngest. <laughs> but the uh, uh, that capability is advancing, and when we can do that, it's you know being able to simulate. Uh, and do work in, in an area there is, is important. Uh, the control systems are being uh, modified not only in uh, advanced not only through computational techniques, but also through uh, human factors analysis and, and you know, how do the humans interact better with, with the AI uh, and with the control systems so that they're able to observe uh, in a control room setting, for example, uh, all of these different meters and, and sensors and everything, and if something's going off in a uh, a physical system, like a, the level of a tank is rising, how does the operator then know whether that is actually rising or mm-hmm. is that a cyber intrusion causing that sensor to, to act uh, inappropriately? So all of these tools, uh, and I, uh, I've talked with our group about it quite a bit, that we want to advance both the, our human factors, uh, research and development work along this area, as well as our uh, artificial intelligence, computational modeling uh, work. And uh, I think all of these working together with all of the technologies we do, whether it be developing uh, nuclear detector systems for border security, or uh, control systems for space travel and, and uh activities in space or for the cybersecurity of our uh, uh, of our critical infrastructure are all important uh, because yes we're not the only ones using these yeah. tools yeah
1: do you think that the digital twin model could also introduce an opportunity for weakness by having Kind of the exact same setup between the two in a digital space, and then the actual operational space. Or do I just not understand digital twins?
2: Well, I mean, it certainly could be a vulnerability. You need to protect that twin in the same way you protect the actual system. Uh, And the you know you can't. we we need to get to a point where it doesn't take a significant amount of effort to create that twin, because systems change constantly, and so you're going to need to be able to recreate a twin for that system. Uh, but yes, if, you know, it's the same way that, you know, you've got your information out there on the internet, if you're, you know, you, you put your credit card information in to buy something on Amazon, then you, maybe your, your credit card changes and now you've got to get it out there for, uh, every, you know, the new credit card number for all these systems that you're buying. And, and is it being protected? Is the old information being protected? The new information? Uh, so it's it's something that um, in that case that every individual needs to take ownership of protecting their information in the same way these organizations need to protect both their uh, their actual operating systems and their uh, and their digital twins and training and, and development spaces as well what, what is a digital twin well, it's just a digital representation of a physical system so so it's it's a
0: model then or it's a, a- Virtual way to look at something. There's
2: it's a, a, a virtual model. I mean, there are. I, I, guess, I guess there's a, there's a feedback example. between
0: the, the real the real ones that you have a virtual one that's reflecting new information. Right,
2: right. and it, so we do we do quite a bit with simulations now, so that an operator considered a simulated control room and and look at their the impact of a simulated uh, environment using our cyber range. Uh, and we have hard, like I said, we have hardware in the loop. We can we can plug in a piece of equipment, uh, a physical piece of equipment, and see how the interactions uh, apply to that equipment. Uh, a digital twin is just a refinement of that simulation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's how can we make it more realistic, okay. uh, so that to the user uh, there's no difference. Okay. Flight simulator for a pilot train okay. is a good example, right? Okay. You, you want it to be as close as it can be to a to a realistic situation, but there's nothing like being in an airplane with the in the cockpit with the, uh, the controls at your fingertips.
1: So, with climate change, uh, there's been a lot of talks about having more control systems and smarter systems, I guess, in buildings and and digital twins and buildings are how I connect the two things. But how do you how do you think that cybersecurity will play within this? climate change, net zero um, type of future?
2: So I, I think uh, cybersecurity is going to grow regardless of that. I mean, that's just a an area in which technology is developing, but it could be another area that technology is developing that is just as critical. So it's, it's the energy infrastructure uh, and it fits within that the, uh, if it's green energy generation, it still needs to get uh, across transmission lines to a substation and from the substation distributed to your homes. How that uh, is generated is is one thing. You know, we're looking at some opportunities here at CNL in Chalk River to be able to, to combine a lot of these green technologies in one space, which will give us a kind of an opportunity to see from a microgrid standpoint, mm-hmm. how we can apply some of the cybersecurity uh, capabilities and technologies that we're developing or evaluating uh, or operating uh, and apply them to, to that system. But again, it's a, uh, that's just an avenue of, of growth. So it's uh, through climate change, net zero, you're developing green uh, generation technologies. Transportation is developing autonomous electric vehicles that's another, you know, just the way that it's, it's growing. If they go to hydrogen powered vehicles, mm-hmm. that is another uh, set of uh,
0: just opportunities for, for both the vulnerabilities and for protection. So um, I, I think probably the most pressing question that our listeners are going to be developing over all this is what would be your advice to us as the owners of a house with a smart thermostat Considering an electric vehicle, you know, I, I, maybe I have a baby monitor in my kid's room. You know, what, do you have any advice that you'd be able to, to share?
2: Well, everything is risk management, right? And it's resiliency. So, you know, look at your systems. Uh, if it goes down, if, if any one of those systems goes down for any reason, uh, if your thermostat goes off, do you, do you have a backup system? Do you have, mm-hmm. are, are you able to control, uh, did you keep your old thermostat so that you can swap it out uh, and uh, and replace it, or can you go down to the hardware store quickly and buy an old-style thermostat and plug it in? <laughs> uh, and, and it's about risk management. Uh, it's, you know, what are you concerned about? If mm-hmm. if a smart light bulb in your house goes out, no big deal, right? It's uh, easy enough to, to live without a light for a few days and one light bulb until you can yeah. fix it out. But what happens if you're... The entire power goes out in your house, or if the if the uh, route your network router and modem uh, shuts down everything, and and you can't operate anything in your house. I I live in a house with a well, Mm -hmm. right? And and my wife uh, is keeps bringing up to me what happens when the power goes out. We're not going to have water either. No more water. Uh, So uh, so we need to think about a generator, a backup generator for when power goes out. But you have to look at the risk. You know how often does power go out and for how long? You know, if you live in a more urban or suburban area where crews are dispatched rapidly to repair any electrical systems, it might not be that big of a deal. You can live without it for you know eight hours to a day uh, without power. But uh, if you're more rural and you're relying on uh, that one. Thin line that comes uh, above ground and through a forest of trees to uh, to bring power to your house, and, and a tree comes down over it uh, during a storm. It, it might be days until uh, power is restored, and uh, so that's a it's an individual risk management uh, choice. But but in that regard, and both in IT, cybersecurity, and any of these control systems in your house, uh, you know, evaluate them routinely. You know. I, can't tell you how often that is. Maybe it's annually, maybe it's every few years, but, uh, but look at those systems and how resilient are they? Uh, how are you protecting them? Do you have uh, antivirus software on your systems? Okay. Do you have uh, a virtual private network uh, mm-hmm. on your home network? People can't drive by and access your Wi-Fi and, and maybe get into, yes, use, uh, use good passwords. So all of those things that are cyber hygiene in the information technology space are similar in the operational technology
0: space as well. I like that term, cyber hygiene.
1: So uh, thank you so much, Bill. This has been a really great conversation. I, I've learned a lot about cybersecurity and operational technologies uh, during this discussion, and I think that there's... I think you said it perfectly. Is there's, there's the whole world is open up, and the cybersecurity is not just one thing, and it's it can be applied across a whole bunch of different technologies and industries, and can really help kind of change the world and the way we all interface with it. So I really appreciate you being here today, and I know Mike does too. So thank you very
2: much. All right, it's you. my pleasure.